Hi, Julie. Hi, Jeremy. What do you know about charged lemonade from Panera? Charged lemonade? Exactly. Perfect. Sounds exactly like you know exactly like what I'm it talking has, about. Like it has, it's electric? Does it give you a shock? It's, it's charged. In this case, it means caffeinated. Have you never heard of charged lemonade oh, before? Oh, okay. Gotcha. I know nothing, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, in this case, it means very caffeinated. Um, they advertise oh, okay. uh, these with a sign on it that says, Plant-based, clean caffeine powered by guarana and green coffee extract. Mm-hmm. A medium 20-ounce has how much caffeine, do you think? Oh, goodness. I have to remind myself, like, what's in a regular cup of coffee? Like I will give you context. Starbucks twelve okay. Starbucks twelve ounce coffee, two hundred and thirty five milligrams of caffeine. Oh, that's a lot. Um, I don't know, three hundred. So twenty ounces of a charged lemonade from Panera has two hundred and sixty milligrams of caffeine. Okay. Guess how much is in a thirty ounce large? Um, more more than that. Three hundred and ninety milligrams of caffeine. That's a lot. So how much caffeine's in a Red Bull? Um. I don't know. 200. 114 milligrams of caffeine. Okay. That Red Bull, to me, seems like it would have more. Weird. So you've done a great job of orienting everybody to this episode because (laughs) I asked you how much caffeine is in four different drinks and you were nowhere near any of them, which really emphasizes how much we understand how much caffeine is in anything. So why did I call out charged lemonade specifically? Because there's two recent lawsuits that have been filed for wrongful deaths being connected to consuming the beverage. Um, And it got me thinking, and the question and headline for today will be, how much caffeine is too much caffeine? That is a great question. I'm very excited that you're going to tell me exactly how much I personally, Julia Rose Bruni, should be drinking caffeine wise because I don't know and I only know when I've had too much (laughs) and everything seems overwhelming and I have to go to the bathroom a lot perfect you're going to talk about symptoms already well we're going to get to that after the intro music but I dove headfirst into the internet to figure out how much caffeine is too much caffeine what levels are dangerous and I'm jacked up to share what I found (laughs) there are always a lot of headlines regarding caffeine and coffee and then the possible health benefits or the risks and it's not what we're going to talk about today Okay. So we're not going to go into like, why is coffee going to make me live till I'm 150? We're not going to yeah. do that. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about caffeine. I want to focus specifically on how much caffeine we consume on a daily basis and the risks it may or may not have for our health at that time. So Julie, you ready to find out how much Red Bull it takes to lose your wings? <laughs> Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen, and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. Well, many of you may be enjoying this episode over a cup of coffee or tea or maybe a charged beverage. Who knows? Julie, what's, what's your uh, caffeine regimen on a daily basis? <sighs> yeah, um, I usually make a pot of coffee the night before or like I program it to be made when me and Adam get up in the morning. So we each have, I don't know, probably like whatever, maybe like a 16 ounce like to go cup of coffee um, on my way out the door. And then when I get to work, I'm probably wanting another something like that because we've got a couple cute little coffee machines at most of our offices, probably like around around 10 a.m. Get a little pick-me-up. 
Um, and then it depends on the day. If I'm like real stressed out, I might do another one after lunch. Either coffee or like, like a some type of soda situation. But I try to be like done for the day by like two or three if I can, caffeine wise. And do you routinely check the caffeine content of these drinks? Do you know on a daily basis no. how many milligrams of caffeine no approximately idea. that you're getting? Nope. And I make my my pots of coffee very strong. So is there like, how would you measure yourself to be like, well, that's too much caffeine, I'm done. Yeah, um, my hands are cold, my armpits are sweaty, I have to go to the bathroom a lot, one and two. <laughs> uh, You're a symptom person. I'm jittery, although I'm usually quite hyper-focused, which is nice for, for, for folks that maybe are a little bit on the, the neurodivergent ADHD spectrum. So you stop drinking caffeine when you're having a productive anxiety attack. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, probably when I start having symptoms. Okay. Yeah. Well, it may surprise you to know that it's not required by the FDA to publish the caffeine content on a label. Huh. It's completely voluntarily done by beverage makers like most canned drinks. They don't have to put it on there. I guess that's true. Um, and yeah. I didn't I didn't know that. I know that it's on a lot of drinks. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes when I can't find it, I'm like, why is it not on here? Is that allowed? But it is allowed. Um, and for those who don't have it on the product, say you went to, I don't know, Starbucks and you got a cup mm. of coffee. You know, again, that's not a canned beverage. So it's not going to say the caffeine content on it. Usually they have it on their like website or app. You can mm -hmm. go in and say what drink I got and it would be there. But again, that's completely voluntary. They don't have to do that. Um, and is commonly said for things that are brewed, such as coffee, it varies by how it's brewed. Mm -hmm. So the same bean does not always put out the same coffee based on how somebody makes it on a mm -hmm. daily basis. Um, so it can be hard to measure. Um, caffeine is considered a dietary supplement. It is actually the most commonly consumed dietary supplement. Makes sense. Um, and therefore, it's not subject to the regulation of the FDA except for what's called the grass label. Have we talked about the grass label before? I feel like it sounds familiar like a previous episode. Do you know what I'm talking about? Kind of, yes. I mean, through context, I do, but I didn't know that was the name of it. Yeah, generally regarded as safe. It basically means that yes, yes, the yes. FDA yeah. has has approved it as a generally regarded as safe. I think yep. we've talked about it before. We have, um, yes, but it yes, doesn't yes. actually regulate it in any. Way. Yes, mm -hmm. that's okay. right. The aspartame episode, perfect. Yep. So uh, products can have as much caffeine in them as the manufacturer sees fit. There's no regulation on it. Interesting. Kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know if you're going to get into this, so I don't want to step on your toes. But like, people utilizing caffeine. Uh, as a supplement in like pill form i feel like that yeah so a, yeah. i we'll get there. it is possible to just take caffeine there are caffeine pills mm -hmm. um i did not see in any of my research whether those can be unlabeled and how much is in there um that would be really i i, I will make the blanket statement that if you're somebody taking a caffeine pill a we'll talk about why that may not be a good idea right but B, if it's not labeled with the milligrams, that is a really bad idea. Yeah, don't do that. Don't take pills that don't tell you what's in it in any yes. way at all or how much of what it says is in there is in there. Yeah, that's not a great idea. So another thing, though, is sometimes there's caffeine in products we weren't expecting or maybe we didn't even know had caffeine mm -hmm. in it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, lemonade, like charged <laughs> lemonade. I wouldn't have you necessarily. Know. I would have thought that there was like electrolytes in it or something by causing, sure. calling it charged lemonade. I'm like, oh, it has like potassium or magnesium or something in it like no it just has a bunch of caffeine in it interesting powdered workout supplements mm -hmm. so like things that people take and put in drinks before they work out because it's supposed to be a performance enhancer caffeine in a lot of those mm -hmm. um, over-the-counter medications excedrin mydol both mm -hmm. have 
caffeine in them. Sometimes we don't think about that. So yep. we may consume a lot of caffeine without even knowing it, or worse, consume a lot of caffeine in a short amount of time, like, I don't know, a couple charged lemonades at one lunch. Yeah. that That's like my nightmare. There was a time, this is probably oversharing, but like when I had worse anxiety issues, that if it would ruin my day, it would like... It would, like, put me in a spiral if I had a bunch of caffeine and didn't know that I was going to have caffeine. And then, I mean, like, yeah, it could, like, tip me over to, like, full-blown panic attack. That would suck. I'm sure there's people for which that is also true. You have also described sometimes caffeine can have a withdrawal. So sometimes yeah. not being able to have your caffeine or access to it can be its own problem. And we're not sure. going to cover that here. Yeah. But... All right, let's 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 put a hypothetical world out there in which we always knew how much caffeine we were consuming, and so now we can do the math. And so, let's answer the question: What is safe? Any guesses at what's safe, milligram-wise, for an individual on a daily basis, or at least what is reported to be safe? Well, you were telling me before that like a, a thirty ounce of this charged lemonade has like three hundred and ninety milligrams. Um, Correct. That amount. Or less. That's amazing. That was really well done. I like your deduction process. It's 400 milligrams. Okay, cool. So 130 ounce maybe, charged lemonade. Yeah, exactly. It, I never even thought about that, Julie, but I think you're right. I think Panera really thought this through. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, our 30 ounce, our large is going to be just under that cutoff. Yeah, because if, if we if, have it above that, then it's, yeah, then they, you call the yeah. nutrition police. Well, if you if you go back for a refill, that's on you. Right. <laughs> So the FDA actually has a published article on their website called Spilling the Beans, How Much Caffeine is Too Much, which is convenient for what we're talking about today. And even more convenient, it's been updated through 2023. So we've talked about things not being updated. This one's nice. been updated, which is great. Excellent. So I'm going to quote this article because I think it is helpful. For healthy adults, the FDA has cited 400 milligrams a day, that's about four to five cups of coffee, as an amount not generally associated with dangerous negative effects. However, there is a wide variation in both how sensitive people are to the effects of caffeine mm -hmm. and how fast they metabolize it, which in parentheses they say break it down. In addition, the FDA has not set a level for children, but the American Academy of Pediatrics discourages the consumption of caffeine and other stimulants by children and adolescents. That is their policy statement. Any comments or concerns? Um, yeah, again, we're... we're it's their job to speak in broad generalizations because they're giving us general guidelines for stuff that we have immediate access to and you can, you know, make whatever decision that you want, but you want some degree of guidance from a educated power, I suppose. But yeah, but also teenagers drink caffeine all yeah. the time. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I love that you said that, Julie, because I thought that the, I have no issue with the statement. I thought, A, that the name of the article was very well Cute. done. People should find this with, with good SEO and be able to get good advice. And I think it was well written. The only thing about this is the no level set for children and then the AAP basically punting and saying we discourage consumption. And again, I think that that yeah. is not a wrong statement, but a little bit of like a let, let's let's talk about reality for a second. Sure. 14-year-olds are going to Starbucks, right. right? And they are still considered pediatric patients. Can we get a little bit more guidance? So I did look up that the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry does have guidance. Oh. And it says under 12, no caffeine. So under okay. 12, no caffeine, zero. Ages 12 to 18 should consume no more than 100 milligrams per day. So 
There's some guidance. I I didn't I don't actually I didn't look up any studies or references that like they what had. What it's based but... on, right? Or that they just picked a hundred because it's kind of like setting a BMI cutoff at twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> nice round number. It's easy to remember. Uh, maybe it's not based on any type number. of science. <laughs> All right. So the the question that I know that you really want to ask, so I'm going to ask it for you, is if 400 milligrams is the max recommended amount, how much do we generally drink on average? What is the average <laughs> What's actually American happening? actually drink? <laughs> right. So based on data from the National Health and Nutritional Examination Survey from 2007 to 2010, so this is basically a very large survey that goes out and it usually is backdated. So when you have 2007 to 2010, it's actually one of the more recent ones because mm. it takes a long time to get this information and then you know, analyze it and whatnot. Sure. 348 milligrams is the estimated daily intake at the 90th percentile. Oh, okay. So it seems that the vast majority of people, more than 90% of us, are having less than 350 milligrams a day, which is good. We're under yeah. the 400 milligrams per day. Okay, cool. End of Makes episode, sense. right? Bye. <laughs> yeah. I think that most of our listeners who drink caffeine know the feeling of having had too much caffeine. And mm -hmm. as it says, you know, 90% of us are having less than the 400, less than 350, but we can still get these symptoms. So, you know, obviously there's some spectrum here. You've already mentioned some of these symptoms, but I will list them for us. Yeah. Trouble sleeping. That one seems appropriate. Jitters, anxiousness, fast heart rate, upset stomach, nausea, headache, a feeling of unhappiness, also known as dysphoria. <laughs> so those are the, the, the common symptoms of too much caffeine, not causing a medical problem, just kind of like how we... Uh, feel it somatically. Most of the time, it, those symptoms come on when we have not collectively had over 400 milligrams. So clearly less than 400 milligrams can affect your health. Sure. So in addition, there are a number of factors that increase our risk of caffeine causing uh, problems, and mm -hmm. this can happen at lower levels. So one prominent example of that would be you know, sensitivity to caffeine varies widely just in the individual population. So 200 milligrams for me may affect me differently than 200 milligrams for somebody else, and therefore uh, you know, I can have effects even at a lower consumption rate. Also, as you pointed out earlier, how quickly you consume it. So if I take 400 milligrams in a pill form right away and I absorb all 400 milligrams, that can create its own problems, even though I've stayed theoretically at the level that is safe. Mm -hmm. um, another prime example is energy drinks, uh, as we're all familiar with, have these really bright cans with sexy names and large marketing budgets. And, you know, they're popping up all over the place. Um, in fact, there was a New York Times article that was around this time. I remember this one. And this one got me thinking about doing this episode even before I had this other headline. Um, and it was from June 2023. And it was titled, Energy Drinks Are Surging. So Are Their Caffeine Levels. Um, so let's talk about energy drinks briefly. A single 16-ounce can of these energy drinks can have 200 to 300 milligrams of caffeine. Mm -hmm. If a 16-year-old high schooler consumes one can, they've had two to three times the recommended levels per the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. And how many high school students have you seen walking into school holding one of these cans? Oh, yeah. I mean, people get tattoos like of like Monster Energy Drink. Isn't that what, what you're mm -hmm. going to get, Jeremy? A tattoo of Monster Energy Drink? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, no, I'm going to get Minotaur. That is a reference to a lovely movie with Paul Rudd and Shaw and William Scott, for those who are not. Uh, um, but if, if I can quote that movie again, he goes to the bathroom after having a bunch of it and he comes out and he's like, looks like alien piss. <laughs> it's all the taurine. 
<laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, again, like this can lead to all the symptoms I listed above. And there's yeah. a lot of mental health issues, uh, especially in adolescence and high school. And maybe yeah. they're over caffeinated and that can be some of it. it puts a lot of strain on the cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if kids are trying to exercise, will they have this? This can be a big problem. So, yeah, I thought that was a good natural transition to talk about maybe how caffeine affects the body more than just these symptoms, like our actual health. Yeah. Maybe most prominently the heart. So how how, do, how does caffeine affect our heart? Um, the lawsuits um, that I referenced earlier, mm -hmm. they are in reference to sudden cardiac death. So clearly they are associating having had all this caffeine and then somebody dying from cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. So translation, if you consume this amount, will your heart stop working? Yeah. For this part, I'm going to be referencing information from a review article from the Caffeine in Food and Dietary Supplements Workshop that was convened by the Institute of Medicine in August of 2013. This document is hundreds of pages long. It is mostly a summary of what happened at this workshop. There's okay. a lot of references to different experts. I did cipher through all this stuff. It was intoxicating reading. Um, it actually was pretty interesting, yeah. um, and it was well organized. So a lot of this stuff is coming from there. Okay. Um, most people think that caffeine... You know what? I want to I want to rephrase that. Julie, what do you think the like when you think caffeine in the heart, what's the first thing that you think of? Uh, yeah, I think of like heart racing, um, yeah, palpitations. Yeah, palpitations like, you know, revving up your heart, blah blah blah. Yeah, so I, I that's my exact sentence that I was going to say was most people think of caffeine and yeah. palpitations or thus like arrhythmias. But the conclusions from this workshop were that the data does not support that caffeine increases the risk of an actual arrhythmia. So you know, in that regard, we think about the effect of our heart racing, but it actually isn't causing, you know, very dangerous arrhythmias that people are dying from. Rather, it's the effect of the caffeine on the endothelial cells. Remember okay. endothelial cells? Yeah, the they line your, your blood, blood vessels. vessels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jinx, buy me a I coke. I'll let you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy you. I'll buy you a minotaur. <laughs> oh, the, uh, no. <laughs> So, as you mentioned, the endothelial cells form the inner lining of blood vessels and serve both basal and inducible metabolic and synthetic functions. So they do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. they, they're the responsive stuff that control our blood vessels. And so when they function normally, they play an important role in regulating blood vessel tone, mm -hmm. preventing blood clots, and preventing arterial damage by, like, acting as a barrier. They get in the way of problems. Gotcha. So caffeine consumption, when we consume it and we rest, meaning you sit there yeah. and you don't do exercise with it, it increases endothelial cell function which is good so in theory actually caffeine can help these cells work better if you are resting at the time that you consume them interesting like the meme here is like a 16 year old drinking energy drinks and playing whatever the hell video games <laughs> young people play these days yeah should we date ourselves halo it's halo is that not cool anymore <laughs> is it not i don't know <laughs> No, nobody of, plays Halo anymore. This reminds me of um, Clint Eastwood and uh, um, hold on, this is worth. This is a funny joke. Wait, in uh, Gran Torino, and somebody, one of the the kids in the movie, is telling him that he wants to play Call of Duty, and he thought the name of it was Call It Duty. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. All right, go ahead. <laughs> People still do play Call of Duty, but yeah, it's yeah, on like yeah. Call of Duty thirty seven or something like that. Sure. Um, the, the the setup here is that caffeine consumption and then exercising appears to decrease endothelial cell function, which is mm. not good. Interesting. So consuming it at rest, good. 
Fine. consuming it right before exercise, not good. And again, you've mentioned the 16-year-old, but this includes us, you know, yeah. having our caffeine before we go to work and theoretically not stressing ourselves with labor, vice versa, the person who goes to a labor job and brings their energy drink with them and has it um, maybe exercising at that time. Caffeine also blocks adenosine, which is responsible mm-hmm. for dilating the uh, cardiac arteries to allow for more blood flow. So with this in mind, studies have shown that individuals who consumed caffeine and then exercised had decreased cardiac blood flow by upwards of 14 to 22 percent. Interesting. Yikes. If you're somebody who has cardiac plaque buildup, like most middle-aged adults in the United States, this decrease in blood flow can lead to a heart attack. Are we middle-aged? Or the younger population. Yeah. Is that uh, us now? We did just point out Halo uh, as, yes. <laughs> if you if you cite our video game references, we are middle-aged, oh, yes. Oh, God bless. Um, so, but if you want to talk about the younger population, yeah. uh, many of them have undiagnosed, I shouldn't say that. There's not a high percentage of this. But many of them who have a heart condition have an unknown, undiagnosed heart condition. Okay. Because they haven't had symptoms yet, and therefore this can manifest as a cardiac arrest. Mm. Um, just because the first symptom of it would be having less blood flow from the caffeine, exercising, and then having cardiac arrest. So, the lawsuits that are against Panera for this charged lemonade... Um, and we don't have to go into like the minutia of that, but I'm assuming were they younger people that had one people? one one is young one is younger uh, one okay. is definitely in his fifties or sixties um, okay. and I'm had sure and experienced sudden cardiac death. Mm-hmm. And is the it, it, are people up in arms about it because you don't think of caffeine, we think of lemonade. You know what I mean? Like I don't th- like when you asked me what charged lemonade was, my th- caffeine didn't cross my mind. I don't think lemonade equals caffeine. I think coffee. I think even like a green tea drink or like, I'm trying to think of other things that are, I associate and lemonade is like the opposite. It'd be like if you gave me like caffeinated milk, <laughs> like I wouldn't think to be like, oh, here's my charged milk. Like, it seems like it was sneaky. Is that the problem yeah. you think? I think that's, uh, without speaking for the attorneys or having yeah. gone through the actual brief, sure. because I don't like to lead, read law briefs very no. much. The, the, the overall case is, are based on the fact that the lemonade had serious amounts of caffeine in it, large amounts, and it was not communicated well to people that that amount is significantly larger than sometimes even like Red Bulls, or we just don't understand caffeine. And that having more more than one of them can lead to health problems. Probably having one of them can lead to health problems. But maybe a sign that says having a refill of this is bad for your health. Um, yeah. or something to that effect. I'm not sure, sure. Um, specifically how they're going after them. But yes, both people had more than one charged lemonade and um, did not know that having all that charged lemonade was not just electrolytes or was going to lead to that. Got it. Um, it's also very hard to prove, I think, death from I these know. things to a certain extent. That's why yeah. it's always so hard in these cases. But definitely got uh, people thinking about their caffeine intake. Yeah. Um. The energy drinks themselves have also been shown to increase platelet aggregation, which can cause an increased clotting risk, as mm. well as increased blood pressures even at rest. So the energy drinks themselves, more than like just a cup of coffee that has natural caffeine in it, mm. the energy drinks are also showing increased risk of clotting um, and increased blood pressure. So lots of things that can happen. And we're not quite sure which part, which ingredients of the energy drink seems to be doing that. But it, it, as of right now, what you're telling me, it's like just the whole thing, like the guarana and the taurine and the other, who the hell knows, other substances that are in there maybe have some type of aggregate effect, potentially, or Correct. we don't totally know I would, if it's I would, one thing or the other. Yeah. 
Okay. I would argue that we it's a stew of ingredients, mm-hmm. and so the cause and effect is difficult to ascertain. Understood. So you know how each individual ingredient, um, based on studies, is affecting the human body, but sure. as a stew, it makes it difficult to understand in each individual person's body which one's going to be the problem or if they're all the problem. Got it. So this um, workshop summarized this part saying, healthy individuals aged 22 to 59 years old who consume 200 to 300 milligrams of caffeine during activities of daily living are likely safe, provided they are not caffeine sensitive, pregnant, or taking medication that interacts with caffeine, or do not have a medical condition that is worsened by caffeine. Okay. I thought that summary kind of summarizes what we were looking for. So they don't say 400, though. They say 200 to 300. Understood. Okay. For those who consume caffeine immediately before or during exercise, however, there could be harmful results, such as a heart attack. That scares me. I didn't know that. I'm glad I know that now. Not that I really would. I feel like taking in a bunch of caffeine and then, well, I don't know. I feel like there's been times where I want to, you know, on the weekend or whatever, I'll have my morning coffee and then I'll go for my run. That might a not lot be of people a do this, Julie. Great idea. The, yeah. There are significant. Uh, so caffeine is a performance enhancer. Yeah. And I don't remember if I wrote that in this episode somewhere, but it is. Let's talk about and it now. <laughs> it's in a lot of um, pre-workout yeah. powders. It's in a lot of like drinks. Um, and so people Eesh. go take these things. I, I, I remember one that, that when I when we were younger back in the Halo days was called NO Explode. And that oh, yeah. one had like all that stuff to like make you feel good, but it was really just topped up in caffeine. That And uh. so, again, that probably wasn't safe to use potentially. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to point out was uh, energy drinks seem to have a negative effect even at rest. So it seems like energy mm-hmm. drinks are bad no matter when you're using them. Caffeine may not be as bad if you're using them at rest. It's interesting that in this... Um when you were talking about the charged lemonade that they're talking about this like natural green coffee bean extract and i feel like that's i've, it's I've coming heard up those everywhere yeah i've heard those words before and it's usually to put caffeine into something that isn't coffee um because like the green beans like i know i think starbucks has their like refreshers that is probably very similar to what this charged lemonade is to be honest with you um that yeah and and that sounds like aesthetically pleasing like oh it's still like coffee but it's just in a different form and it doesn't taste like coffee it's not like brown it doesn't have like a you know it's not a roasted flavor it you know it's interesting that it just like sounds appealing when really it's just a, another way to just give you the same drug <laughs> I love that you said that. The There's a quote from this workshop that I loved, and mm. it is the last thing I wrote in my entire outline, mm. but I'm going to say it now because it is perfect for what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's, and I quote, coffee naturally has caffeine in it. Energy drinks and sodas do not. Mm-mm. They are strictly vessels to deliver caffeine. 100%. Absolutely true. And I thought that that quote was great because what's the intent? What's the purpose? When people have coffee, they want the caffeine, but the coffee bean has the caffeine in it. Mm -hmm. It naturally has it. You don't have to add it. When you have something like a charged lemonade, it is strictly a vessel because they wanted to put 260 milligrams of caffeine into it. Yeah, that's interesting. It seems sneakier, doesn't it? Yeah, it's scary stuff is what I wrote. Um, Let's talk about the performance side of things because Mm -hmm. we all, including myself and my other 
friend here use coffee and caffeine for performance. We mm-hmm. all feel more alert after our morning Joe, but is there an amount we consume in which our performance suffers? Like if I have too much, am I not going to be able to perform as well? Um, referencing McClellan et al. in a review from the Neuroscience and Biobehavioral Reviews in 2016 for this mm-hmm. information, the ability of caffeine to enhance cognitive and physical function is dose dependent. I don't think that's surprising to people. Sure. It, if you have less, you may not have the effect. If you have more, you may have the effect, but can you have too much? So doses of approximately 40 to 300 milligrams can improve cognitive function, including alertness, reaction time, and attention. This is me summarizing their work. In addition, doses of approximately 200 to 500 milligrams ingested approximately one hour prior to exercise can enhance physical performance. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. If you take this one hour before exercise, it can make you perform better, although maybe that's risky. The review highlights that the response to a given dose shows large inter-individual variation. Julie will be affected differently than Jeremy by coffee or by caffeine. It also mentions that higher doses above 400 milligrams, so they use the 400 milligram level, are more mm-hmm. likely to result in anxiety and may impair performance. Got it. I love that their the initial summary. initial dose was, what was it, 40, 40 to 300. To 300. <laughs> like, dude, it's mm-hmm. a huge amount. And then yeah. it's like, but then also 200 to 500. Like, I don't know. I I take umbrage with their numerology. Well, in fairness, I was summarizing everything. Um, They may have had the doses spanned out. But the goal here, and we'll have a nice summary at the end of this so that this is all wrapped up for everybody. But the goal was really to try to figure out, like, what are the safe levels and what are the effective levels? And again, this is another – the safety one that we just talked about – had 200 to 300 was their ideal, and it said don't do it around exercise. This okay. one says 40 to 300. So, again, it's saying 300 is the kind of the max that they have listed here, and that's to get alertness, reaction time, and attention. But they did say that if you do use – if you want to do it for exercise physical performance, it's 200 to 500. You need higher doses for that. Yeah. Um, and, again, it's approximately one hour before exercise. So you wonder how you can get increased physical performance but then also have the cardiac risk. It's an interesting um, phenomenon. But they said above 400 milligrams is more likely to result in anxiety and impair performance. Gotcha. So, again, 400 seems to be a magic number here. And you said before that, like – in some of the numbers that were thrown around, because I know there was like a specific number for like a Starbucks tall, but like mm-hmm. a cup of coffee at your house in general is about a hundred. It depends. It depends I on know, what type of coffee you're using I and know. what you're brewing with. That's so that's games. why I, that's why I use Starbucks 12 ounce Pike place roast yeah. because I feel like most people are like they're, they know that they sure. understand what that is. Yeah. Um, and so that's a 12 ounce of their medium roast and Starbucks historically is more caffeinated than the stuff you have at home. Uh, but if you're using like Folgers, you know, it's going to be much less caffeinated than if you're using like light roasted, uh, like single origin beans that you're grinding and, and whatnot. So, yeah. but that's going to be, you know, I think a common misconception perception is that dark roast is more caffeinated than light roast but no it's light roast is more caffeinated than dark roast right so the the point being is is we probably should be aware of how much approximate caffeine we're consuming and therefore understanding what we're putting into our body Mm -hmm. and also understanding if we go back and have more are we really enhancing our performance or are we just adding risk to ourselves just like any other drug that we use heard chef yeah i mean if you go take 1600 milligrams of ibuprofen Mm -hmm. which is far above what you're allowed to take yes but you do that there is a probable 
if you're a healthy person, probable chance that is not going to cause a problem that one time that you did it. But if you do it repetitively, yeah. you're subjecting yourself to likely increased risk. And yeah. it's the same thing with caffeine. And you're also not going to get like more therapeutic benefit once you get over the recommended dose. Great point. So like if you take more than 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, you're probably not going to get any return on investment and you're only going to get risk. And it sounds like if you're trying to sh- overshoot the 400 of caffeine, it's unlikely they're going to you're going to feel much better or have much, you know, therapeutic benefit and you're much more likely to just have problems. Yeah, I think you've done a great, that's that's an awesome summary. There's also very little research that I could find that said, what if I concern the 400 all at 10 a.m. versus if I spread mm-hmm. the 400 out throughout the day? And it's very difficult to say, but I do know, and they and they were very, very, like the, the workshop was very straightforward on this. Consuming more at one moment increases your risk of problems. Got it. It is better to obviously spread it out to avoid risk. It yeah. did not talk about performance in that standpoint. So okay. um, two quick points um, that don't really fit into a category here, but you can actually get caffeine toxicity. Um, caffeine mm. toxicity can cause seizures. So this is far beyond what we're talking about in terms of, you know, overdosing on caffeine for what m- most people think. Um, the FDA estimates toxic effects can be observed with rapid consumption of around 1,200 milligrams of Oof. caffeine. That's too much. Those are your pills. Yeah. That's what you just talked about. These are people taking caffeine pills and not knowing what how much is bad and how much is good and being like, the last time I took this, it didn't help me, so I'm going to take more. It's like Jesse Spano on Saved by the Bell. I'm so excited. I'm so <laughs> scared. She was I feel so pills. worried for people listening to this episode who are not our age or older who are like, <laughs> what are these references that these people I think there's a bunch of Gen Z folk listening to our lame old doctor people telling you stuff podcast oh please we have plenty of gen z you guys are all welcome also i think everything comes back around That's so i say by the bell i think it's kind of cool it's probably yeah it? it's like it's gonna take the same trajectory as friends where now everybody yeah. my my niece's ages is gonna be all up on screech powers and lisa turtle yeah the other quick point I wanted to make was pregnancy. It has its own set of recommendations. I think anybody who has either treated or been a pregnant person is aware that the caffeine is usually restricted. ACOG, which is the uh, Obstetrics and Gynecology's mm-hmm. um, official academy, their statement is moderate caffeine consumption, which is less than 200 milligrams per day, does not appear to be a major contributing factor in miscarriage or preterm birth. That also brings up the point that the reason why this is limited or concerning is that it can cause miscarriage or preterm birth, um, which is why you're not taking caffeine. The relationship of caffeine to growth restriction, which is another point that Mm -hmm. gets up. If you drink a lot of caffeine, there's concern that the baby won't grow appropriately. That's an undetermined um, outcome. So we don't actually know. Um, So you're kind of taking a risk, I guess. A final conclusion cannot be made at this time as to whether there is a correlation between high caffeine intake and miscarriage. So even taking high amounts in miscarriage is unknown. So you take the safe out uh, way out with most of this stuff. And so they say less than 200 milligrams per day um, for ACOG. But I just also made the reference in the performance that 200 to 300 is uh, uh, the one that had the least amount of risks. And then uh, 40 to 300 was good for performance. So maybe 200, less than 200 isn't all that bad. Sure. Julie, what have you learned on this episode? I've learned that I can bring up Saved by the Bell and not mention Mario Lopez like I've mentioned in almost every other episode that we've done. Well, he just came up again, so you did it. We're setting <laughs> no, a record. Learned... The streak is alive. I'm... In all seriousness. No, I think this is helpful to one of those things that, like, 
this is a, a a habit and a part of a lot of people's day is consuming caffeine. I think it's a very common thing that many people do, and we don't really think much about it until it becomes a problem. And so maybe it is helpful to have a bit of self-education about how much you're consuming and what the data shows may be harmful and could be helpful. So I learned a lot. I, um, yeah, I think I'll be a little more mindful about how much I'm taking in and not wait until I feel terrible (laughs) to stop. So here's my YDF take home points. My summary of the episode. Less than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day is considered safe and appears to be ideal for performance. So that answers the question of how much caffeine is too much caffeine. More than 400 milligrams per day. It's too much. Using caffeine around exercise has benefits for performance, but comes with cardiac risk, especially if you have risk factors for cardiac issues. So don't take that lightly. Energy drinks, which also load up on things like taurine and B vitamins and guarana and all this other stuff, appear Mm -hmm. to be associated with negative outcomes no matter what. I would not recommend these for anybody. Agreed. So... I guess we will not be getting, we will either be getting a lot of responses from the energy drink lobby or we will be not be getting any advertisement requests, oh. which is totally fine with me. Fine by us. Go um, <laughs> Responses to caffeine intake vary significantly among individuals. So again, remember what somebody else drinks and what you drink or what you consume and what somebody else consumes is going to have a different amount of effect. And it's not, you know, when you broadly label 400 milligrams, it's not saying that you can consume 400 and not have side effects. Sure. Um, finally, my belief is that much of the overconsumption that we're hearing about, including, you know, these two, um, lawsuits in which these people died is due to lack of labeling or knowledge about how much caffeine is in a product or lack of knowledge about how much caffeine is safe. So much of this is education for the person who's drinking, which is what we tried to accomplish on this episode. And in addition to that, I think there's a responsibility of maybe the FDA of trying to figure out ways that these things, while they're not regulated, need to be labeled in some form or fashion so that people understand how much is in them. And maybe even some sort of policy that, that compares it to something that people regularly understand Mm -hmm. so if it doesn't need to be a brand but if it said this has 260 milligrams of caffeine in a 20 ounce give me something that's relatable to that say like a 12 ounce coffee is 130 yeah you know and that way that person knows wow that's two cups of coffee i completely understand now and i love that because there is labeling on some you know products that you can purchase at the store that does do that Uh where it's like it even gives me like a visual of like two and a half cups like little cups of coffee and i'm like oh good now i know and so i think if you're absolutely right jeremy i think if there was more push to make that more uniform i think it could potentially prevent some negative outcomes yeah, if it is voluntary to put that on there, but if they are not willing to put it on there, why are you refusing to put caffeine content on your product? Why are you not putting it on there? And yeah, I think if weird. it is not going on the product, you have to ask a question of what was the purpose of the product in the first place. Right. So I agree. Anything else? No. All right. We'll be right back. Well, Jeremy, I feel like your topic dovetails into my dessert topic Pretty nicely, actually. I think they have some similarities. Um, I came across an article that is talking about the FDA's plans to ban menthol cigarettes and any type of flavored cigarette or cigar. I'm not going to be able to get my menthols? You can't have your menthols. But I think it dovetails nicely because the reason why 
um, organizations, and I'll talk in, uh, about who who's nudging the FDA to do this. Um, it's mainly the American Medical Medical Association, and for the reasons why is that I think we can all agree that cigarette smoking is not good. Uh, I don't the every medical organization's are against it. You shouldn't be doing it. There's no benefit to your health whatsoever. It's not like we're <laughs> we're in yeah. Mad Men or in the 1960s and. The, I think the, it's been uniformly accepted that smoking yes. a cigarette is bad for you. Has no that the benefit. Only association that is positive is if you were out there smoking with people, and that was the only time you had connection. <laughs> the connection was good for you. Sure, there you go. That's a reach, but yes. Um, but the idea is, well, if you're flavoring something to make it more palatable and less gross, um, kids. You're, kids, yeah, kids, you're targeting kids, 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 children kids, kids. is what you're doing. And that's really what they were talking about. And that makes me think of, you know... Energy drinks. Energy drinks and packaging them to, to be very appealing to young people and making them associated with different other activities and, and the packaging and the way they taste and all that. And then the same the same crap applies to, um, to flavored tobacco is really what it comes down to. So, yeah, the initial proposal for banning flavors other than the flavor of tobacco... <laughs> Uh, in tobacco products started in uh, April of 2022 because these actions have the potential to significantly reduce disease and death from combusted tobacco product use, which is the leasing, leading cause of preventable death in the U.S. And this is hopefully by reducing youth experimentation and addiction and increasing the number of smokers that quit. So this is the, why the FDA was like, okay, why we care about this. Um so they they mentioned that in 2019 there were more than 18.5 million menthol cigarette smokers that were ages 12 and older in the U.S. So 18.5 million people smoked menthol cigarettes over the age of 12, uh, with particularly high rates of use by young people, young adults, and black people and other racial and ethnic groups because marketing and because uh, a lot of these companies are on purpose marketing flavored tobacco and menthol cigarettes to young people and young black people on purpose to sell more stuff. Um, So there's been some published, like these modeling studies that have estimated a 15%, 1-5% reduction in smoking within 40 years if menthol cigarettes were no longer available in the U.S. So those studies also estimate that 300 to 600,000 smoking attributable deaths overall and they also extrapolated that about 92 to 238,000 of those would be black people would be avoided over the course of 40 years. So to just just outlawing menthol cigarettes could potentially, in some of these models, save the lives of 300 to 600,000 Americans, uh, of which a portion of that, a large portion, would be black people, um, which we are all for. And I don't know, the whole point is now everybody's saying, what is taking so damn long? Why isn't this happening um, and the president of the American Medical Association, uh, Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, um, said this about sort of the FDA kicking the can down the road. This has been proposed since April of 2022, and it just came up again that <clears throat> it's the, the can is being kicked again. Uh, and Dr. Ehrenfeld said, We are disappointed that the Food and Drug Administration has yet to implement a rule banning menthol-flavored cigarettes. Further delays will only cause more harm by allowing tobacco companies to continue marketing menthol cigarettes to black people and harming black youth. We implore the FDA to move swiftly to remove these harmful products from the market once and for all to keep them out of the hands of our nation's youth. Their health and well-being must be the first priority. 
I just thought that was fascinating. And I think it's kind of cool to be like, not only is this a bad product, it is extra bad because it is being marketed to young people so that they can be addicted to this forever. And it's also being marketed specifically to one ethnic group. And I think that's gross. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're... It's a public health issue. Yes. There's people dying. Yes. From something that we know is universally bad. Correct. And the only thing that is stopping it from being restricted or limited or removed is profits. And there are other analogs to this. See, gun topic. Yeah, I know. There's a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. And again, the the point is, is that as medical professionals, our job is to save lives, prevent disease, prevent issues. And when the data is overwhelming, both on the side of this causes problems, and if you remove it, look how much Benefit saving we get. could do. Yeah, it needs to happen. I know. At so, least there's a conversation it about it. It is. It's just well, no, it's not. The the I guess there was um, punted. It was punted. It's All still right. being discussed though. It's not gone well, forever. Hopefully, Hopefully, just like uh, the episode that we ran a, uh, a couple weeks ago, yours will be punted, and eventually you'll come back and say, "Look, they did it because yes. the sickle cell gene editing was approved I know, for all our I listeners." Saw that. So, I said December eighth was when we were going to find out, and believe it or not, actually a patient told me he was like, "Hey, did you see?" And I was like, "Yes." Oh, that's I, awesome. I hadn't had a time to look it up. I, did, I figured it was going to be end of day, but they they got to it. That's so, so rad. for all of those who didn't listen to the sickle cell gene editing episode, go listen to it because they just approved it. Yeah, it's awesome. So, well, anything else? No. This was a great episode about vices, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the most commonly consumed drugs in the United right. States. Caffeine exactly. and nicotine. We've already had a couple, <laughs> couple ones on alcohol. So maybe when we get yeah. into the new year, we'll have, we'll have new New Year's resolutions ones to, to, to talk about. Other vices that we all want to kick. Your, uh, your doctor friends um, uh, will finish by saying, we encourage you to get charged up responsibly (laughs) listen to your doctor friends (laughs) the amazing music is credited to skill cell with pixabay licensure the podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only the contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having the contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.